What's up, everybody? This is Word of a Rebel, and today we're going to do a special episode in honor of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, because um, I think that it's necessary to talk about, in the United States, of course, a lot of these, you know, these errors in judgment when it comes to uh, Muslim people and people of Arabic and African descent, whether or not they're Muslim, Okay. So today, this is what we're going to talk about. Give you a little insight into what it is uh, that the religion believes and supports. Because those of you who know me know that on my dad's side is completely Muslim family. On my mom's side is a completely Christian family. And so in the middle, there's me, who is both of these, and at the same time, none of these, which I'll go into possibly during this episode, but if I'm not able to talk about what my spiritual faith is, there is an episode at Word of a Rebel on Spotify or iTunes, you can access it, where I actually talk about the spirituality of a rebel, which is basically me, my spirituality, and what it what it is and how I, I define my own spiritual path. But, today we're going to focus on Islam. In particular, let's start with this whole idea about the holy month of Ramadan. So if you, for those of you who don't know, Ramadan is a month where every day while the sun is out, uh, the people of Islam do not eat during that time frame. They only eat in the time frame when it's nighttime uh, while the sun is down. So the a lot of people don't understand why. Um, if you're not Muslim, there may be some confusion about why. I want you to compare it, if you have any familiarity with Christianity, you can compare it to the Lent season, except that it's basically the Lent season on steroids, because the reality is that it's more restrictive uh, than Lent. So for Lent, for example, Christians typically give something up, right? Um, Some people give up chocolate, some people might give up alcohol or cigarettes, some people might give up meat entirely. Um, most Catholics during this time frame, because it's, it's more of a Catholic thing, Lent is, than um, a Christian in general thing. Um, most Catholics will not eat any meat on Friday, but they'll eat meat on other days. Which, one of the things I never got about the Lent season was, you, they, they so say, don't eat meat, but then you'll eat seafood? And then I'm like, but that's still meat, but... Okay, that's for another discussion. So basically, Ramadan is like that, except imagine no food. You're giving up all food during the daylight hours. Now, people are allowed to eat at night. You know, Islam doesn't want nobody to die of starvation. That's not the point. So what is the point? There's a couple of benefits from the month of Ramadan. One of the one of the reasons for this month is to show um, connection to the struggle that the Prophet Muhammad faced um, whenever he first started speaking about um, the messages he was receiving from God. Um, so he, he went through a lot of struggle, a lot of loss, he and his family did. And so during that time frame, there was a lot of struggle. And they, um, the, the, he and his family would um, eat dates and drink water, but that was basically all they had to survive on during this time of struggle. Um So in the Muslim faith, most people, the first thing they will eat uh, when the sun goes down is actually dates and either, you know, Arabic coffee or water to basically break the fast in the same way with the same food that the prophet and his family would have also um, done. Uh, Another reason for the fasting is to show compassion for those who do without. 
the month of Ramadan is a very big month of giving and taking care of community. So there's a lot of, um, you know, giving, giving to those who don't have, doing good deeds, uh, an intentional month of focus on compassion and love and giving for the entire month. So you can kind of compare that to the Christian church's uh, tendency and tradition for uh, the, the December, the month of December prior to Christmas. There's a lot of, of giving and loving on people. So that's basically the two major reasons for the month of Ramadan. Another thing that um, I have heard is another, you know, I guess mission behind Ramadan is not something that I've actually heard from an imam directly or from the Quran, but I've heard some people say um, that they feel like it also teaches self-discipline, that by controlling yourself and refusing yourself food and drink also, that's another thing about Ramadan is not only can you not consume food, but you also cannot have anything to drink while the sun is up, is that it also teaches you discipline. Um, so I don't know, like I said, once again, I don't, I don't know if that is something that's actually in the Quran. I haven't seen it anywhere, and no imam has actually said that. But I know some people, um, some Muslim people have told me they feel like they've developed greater self-control and um, discipline in able to keep themselves focused on a task um, by controlling their desire for food and for water. Um, I could see that, you know, um, I, I haven't fasted every year um, before Ramadan. Um, but on the years that I have been able to, um, I can say that there's definitely something to that, that by the end of the month, um, you do feel like you have greater self-control, um, that you're able to, to, to tell yourself no when you really need to. Um, so I think there's definitely some benefits in that. And, um, I could see it benefiting people, you know, if you, if you need to be able to say no, um, to be able to focus on your work or your family life, being able to say no to things that you want. It might also help with the discipline um, with spending practices because you're able to tell yourself no. It's, it's like anything with a habit. You're practicing telling yourself no. And if you can practice telling yourself no for your most basic needs for food and for water, then of course that has to translate in some respect to other parts of your life. But the, you know, the, the overall goal for the month of Ramadan is to, to teach compassion, to show compassion, to be a time of giving, to be a time of community, to be um, at one in honor of the Prophet Muhammad and his family and his closest friends and for what they went through at the beginning of um, their path with Islam and, and, you know, the revelation of the Quran. So that is the first thing I wanted to talk about as far as Islam is concerned. Uh, but there are obviously a lot of things that many, many Americans don't understand about Islam. Um, and so I want to touch on a few of those things today. So one thing about Islam that is very different from Christianity is the idea of converting people. People who are Muslim don't go out into the world trying to convert people to become Muslim. Whereas Christianity, as we all know, Christians do go out. Matter of fact, churches tell Christians quite often to go out and save people by bringing them to an understanding of Jesus, right? You won't find that among the Muslim faith. They might talk about their faith in conversation if it comes up, but they're not actively going to try to convert a person to becoming Muslim. So if you ask them, like, what do you believe? They'll tell you. But they're not going to try to convince you to believe the same thing. That's just not a part of Islam. 
I've heard many people say that, like, you know, God calls you to be Muslim, not a person. A person cannot do that. And so it's kind of a thing they carry with them. So when people are saying they want to, you know, they're afraid of Islam uh, because they, they're afraid that Islam is going to take over the country, the Muslim people don't actively try to do that. They just want to live their life and believe what they believe and, 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 and pay tribute and honor to God in their way. Another thing is that some, some Americans, particularly more narrow-minded Americans, tend to not realize something very um, central to Islam is that it is the exact same God as the Christian God. The, the word Allah is just Arabic for God. So we know, um, as I said in the previous episode about religious freedom in the United States, uh, we know, for example, that in Spanish, we say Dios for God. You know, every language has a different word for God. It's not the same. You don't, you don't go to India and ask somebody, how do you say God? And then they're going to say God. No, if they speak English, maybe they'll say God. But if they speak any other language, one of the many languages of India, they're going to say it differently. Same thing if you go to China, Vietnam, you know, it doesn't matter where you go in life. Nigeria, South Africa, every language says God in a different way. And it is the same for Arabic. The Arabic word for God is Allah. That's it. So um, Muslim people do not believe in a different God. They believe in the exact same God as Christians and as um, people of the Ju Judaism um it's the exact same God. There's no difference. So um, it's not really a different religion. To me, I compare the difference between Islam and Judaism and Christianity to the differences between the, the different Christian faiths. You know, if you go to speak to a Baptist and a Catholic and a Pentecostal person, they're going to say they worship the same God, but that they worship in a different way. Their traditions are different. It's the same for Islam. Islam worships and follows God in a different way from Christianity and Judaism. Judaism follows it in a different way than Christianity. You see what I'm saying? So there's not like a difference as far as who the God is. It is the same God. Muslim people worship and follow the same God as the Christians. So that's another thing I want to express today. Um, another thing about Islam and uh, the practice as far as respect for women. A lot of people don't understand what Islam says or preaches about women. A lot of people assume that if you go to a Muslim nation as a woman, you're going to be more oppressed in some way. Let me explain something to you. Culturally speaking around the world, if I'm not mistaken, everywhere, every nation in the world treats women less than men. Bottom line, okay? We've made a lot of progress in certain nations, but overall, we still live in a world that is controlled and dominated by men and that the rights of women and children are often uh, reduced no matter where you go in the world. Number one, let's get that out the way. So if you're going to say that people in a, in, that women in a Muslim nation are treated worse than men, okay, that's everywhere. What's your point? All right, now if you want to do a comparison between a Muslim nation and a Christian nation, I'm going to tell you this. There's diversity because most Muslim nations treat women with respect. There's actually a high, high level of respect. In the Quran itself, Muhammad said for our, his followers to follow, um, to follow and respect their mother in the utmost. Many people say even higher than the father. Um, also, 
But another thing people don't know is that um, the Prophet Muhammad was married to a woman named Khadijah. This was his um, first wife. He took no other wife until after she died, uh, many years later. Uh, she was actually older than him, and this was arguably the, arguably the love of his life. Her name was Khadijah. She was older than him by about 15 years, and she was also a businesswoman. He worked for her. He was her employee. So Muhammad um, had no issue marrying a woman who was in a powerful position. <clears throat> he didn't try to change her. He adored her. He loved her as she is. And they made a beautiful marriage together. Now, after she passed away, he uh, had other marriages that were only treaties. The, um, it was more about treaties. It was less about partnership at this point because he was, you know, connecting and building unity among his own family and other families. And so those following marriages um, were to different women. Um, but they were military alliances that were being formed. Nevertheless, the Prophet Muhammad preached respect for women. In fact, he preached that women should be treated equally uh, in all ways. And whenever he made, um, whenever the Quran, the revelations of the Quran said any type of re uh, regulation for a woman, it was given for a man. So like, for example, the idea about conservative dress, the Quran just says that women should cover themselves, but it also says the same about men, that men should cover themselves. Now, how is that translated? Culturally speaking, is a different thing. We also have to look at the Bible in the same way. All of the religious faiths, Christianity around the world, is culturally translated differently. So one nation may, like for example, if you think about the Pentecostals, right? The Pentecostals um, translate part of the Bible to say that women should not cut their hair and that they should wear uh, skirts um, and they should not wear makeup, right? Whereas Baptists and Catholics don't believe that. They don't abide by that. Um, in the, in, in part of the Muslim world, a woman, um, wears hijab, uh, in most nations of the Muslim world, women are given the choice of wearing a hijab, which is a headscarf for those that aren't familiar, um, given the choice to wear hijab or not wear hijab. Uh, most of the Muslim world does not require the wearing of a hijab because, the Quran itself does not require covering the hair. It simply says that a woman should cover in the same way that a man should cover. In fact, people are often um, speaking out about Saudi Arabia, saying the women there are heavily covered, but they don't realize that the men are also um, frequently required to wear the thobe and the headpiece that is for the men. So when you go to Saudi Arabia, you're going to see men and women who are covered. So a lot of the time we only hear about the women because, of course, especially in the United States, there's this desire to demonize Islam and saying that they treat women badly. But you don't understand that in that nation, the men and the women have very strict guidelines for what they can wear and what they cannot wear. So in other words, um, Islam honestly gives women the choice of whether or not to wear um, the hijab, the abaya, um, but in the nation of uh, Saudi Arabia, which is the centerpiece of Islam, they have to protect many of the Muslim, um, you know, focal points such as Mecca and the Kaaba. Um, they do have a regulation about wardrobe, but they have a regulation for men and for women. It's not just for women. So 
I wanted to express that. That's just a few things to get out the way. Um, Muslim people are just very nice people. They are very giving. They are very kind in general. Like if you get to know a person who is from a Muslim nation, I really impress upon you, like speak to these people, get to know them better. Okay. Also recognize that Islam is not only found in the Middle East. It is also found in many, many places around the world, including Africa, Asia. Uh, there are Muslim people living throughout Europe, throughout the United States, and they live very peacefully and comfortably within their communities and they deserve respect. So if you feel afraid of someone because they're Muslim, you have to recognize there's somebody who's Muslim that you were going to look at and not know by looking at them. A lot of people are afraid of um, the Sikh people, uh, Sikh is, people who follow Sikhism here in the United States because they wear the identifiable headdress of being a Sikh. They're in, in the same way that some Americans are nervous around a woman who wears a hijab because it is an identifiable clothing item that tells you the religion of this person. Now, number one, those who think that the man with the headscarf is Muslim, he's not Muslim. He's actually Sikh, which is a different religion, which we can go into next to next episode. But the reason why some people have this feeling is because it's an identifiable marker. The majority of Muslim people in the United States do not wear an identifiable clothing marker. You wouldn't even know it. You could just be talking to them and not even realize. And that proves a point. The people who are Muslim living in this nation do not mean anyone any harm. They are just living here. And it is the same for Muslim people around the world. They're just living their lives. They're very kind. They have great food. They have many diverse cultures. You really owe it to the people and you owe it to yourself to get to know them. So everybody, this has been Word of a Rebel. I want to send out my wishes for every Muslim person around the world for a beautiful, happy season of Ramadan. I wish you well as we go through this month with the, with the struggle of fasting. In a following episode, I will speak a little bit more about other religious faiths that exist here in the United States and possibly bring in some more information about Islam because obviously Islam, just like Christianity, is a very big and broad religion with a lot of different things and teachings and traditions. And so I definitely want to share that information with you in honor of both of my parents' backgrounds and heritage. So once again, everybody, this has been Word of a Rebel. If you have any information for me, any questions about Islam or Sikhism or, you know, Arabic people or African cultures, whatever the case may be, where these religions exist. Please hit me up. Let me know what your questions are. If I don't know the answer, I will find someone who does and get the answer for you. You can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Word of a Rebel. I look forward to continuing with this conversation and really getting a lot of information out there and bringing love and unity among all the religious faiths around the world, as well as for the atheists out there. I send you love as well. You mean us no harm also. Once again, everybody, this has been Word of a Rebel. Peace and salam.